Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. Take an Academy Award-winning screenwriter, add a new novel, and you get my guest, Ernest Thompson, author of The Book of Maps, a novel, published by Global Collective Publishing and available on Amazon and all the usual places. His new book focuses on a father's quest to redeem himself in his son's eyes through an adventure of driving through 16 states with a garage sale map as their trusty guy. For everything about Ernest Thompson, go to ernestthompson.us and also thebookofmaps.com. And Ernest, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Before we talk about the book, let's talk a little bit about your background. You won the Academy Award in 1981 for Best Adapted Screenplay for On Golden Pond, which everybody knows that movie, or I think most people know that movie. How did you go from screenwriting to novel writing? And what was that, I'll use that overused word, journey between the filmmaker's art to the putting words on a page and now it's in a book form? Well, I have a two-part answer for you. Uh, One is the pandemic. I was about to launch into making a new movie and um, everything stopped. And I had a play that I was working on as well. So nobody was doing anything. And I don't like not doing anything. So I sat down and wrote this novel. It's not my first novel. It's just my first novel to be published. So if you have listeners out there who think they've got the ideal book and nobody will want to publish it, don't give up because (laughs) there's room for everybody in every story. I write novels, plays, screenplays, and songs. To me, it's all just different variations on the theme. I'm a storyteller. As a storyteller, I write in different mediums, and I'm never sure when I when an idea presents itself to me, which one I'm going to write it in. But um, sometimes it's a brief story, and it's going to be a four-minute song, and sometimes it's going to be sprawling, and it's going to be a almost 500-page novel, which is the case with the Book of Maps. I like having the freedom. I also like getting paid, so I'm more, <laughs> I'm more apt to be a, a writer for hire in right. film and television. And so that's very finite, very specific about what the story is going to be and how it's going to fit. If I'm writing for network television, which I rarely do, but I have done, uh, it's a seven-act structure, meaning there has to be room for all of those commercials within the two hours. Uh, if I'm writing film, that script is going to be somewhere between 90 and 110 pages. And then one takes on that challenge of how do I fit so much story into that amount of space? All of my plays now tend to be about 65 pages long, meaning maybe 90 minutes in the theater, because that's kind of the length of the American attention span. Uh, So (laughs) it used to be a play was a three-act play uh, with two intermissions, but that doesn't happen anymore. Right. Uh, In a revival, maybe, but that doesn't happen with new plays. And, And so I like that challenge, too, of fitting it into that number of pages with a book As far as I'm concerned, the only requirement is that the reader keeps turning pages. And in this story, as I said, 480 pages, I've had people tell me they didn't want the story to end. They started rationing chapters because it was so involving that they didn't want to know what was going to happen next, but they couldn't wait to find out. So that's the form that it took. I didn't have the options in the uh, summer of um, 2020 when I sat down to write it of making it into a movie or or trying to make it a play, which would be very difficult since it, as you said, covers 16 states. Not impossible, but it just wanted to be a novel. And that's how it's turned out. How did you get the idea to begin with? And then how did it develop as you wrote the novel? 
Were there steps along the way that guided you, or you already had a firm idea in your mind once you had the germ of the idea, you plotted out the chapter? How did that work for you? Easiest story I've ever written because I lived it. Because in the summer of 2020, of uh, 2002, my 10 year old son and I took such a drive across the country. And we went from LA to New Hampshire. And it's not as if I did everything thinking, oh, this is going to be a great scene for the movie someday or the book. It just life evolved. Uh, and then years later, I would think about that knowing that it was one of the most significant moments in my life and in my son's life as well. So it was a story that kind of told me to write it, and it kind of wrote itself. I conduct workshops for writers, and people come from all over the world to my farm in New Hampshire. And I often will say, do you have an outline for the screenplay or play or novel? And I encourage people to do that. In this case, I didn't need one because I have a photo journal that my son August and I kept uh, all the way across the country. And all I had to do was open up to each page and think, ah, that's where we were in Minnesota or that's where we were in Montana. Nothing that happened in our lives was anywhere near as dramatic, hilarious, scary as happens in the book. But that's the gift of creativity. And that said, the bonding that happened between my son and me was gospel. And I am so grateful that I had that opportunity. And I'm grateful and proud of myself for being smart enough to be present enough to think, that's what I've got to do. I've got to drive across the country. I am grateful that I understood the importance of doing that. And as I was trying to say, any parent knows that those moments with our kids go by in a flash. And uh, there's a line in the, in the book, the father in this situation didn't necessarily plan to be a father. It just kind of happened. But friends of his have said, don't be an idiot, man. Be present. Be your father. Be the, be the father that you would have liked to have and be the father your son should have. And because you check your pager and it's over. And I was very conscious of that 20 years ago. And it made for a really compelling story to be able to get into the head of a guy who has to learn to become a better father. Before we get into the novel a little bit more, I like the fact that you had a twofer. You had the real-life adventure, and then you have the idea for the novel, which incorporates some of the real life, but obviously is extended and adapted to the creativity that you're putting into it. So it's, it's a fictional book, but at the same time, it reflects a little bit of the reality you had with your son. And I know this is a long dissertation I'm getting into here, but the <laughs> idea that your son has a memory that will last him a lifetime, that's something he won't forget. No, and you may find this interesting. I do. For years after that, my kid would say, Dad, when are we going to take another road trip? When he was about 15, we took a roller coaster road trip and we hit every roller coaster in the Northeast. And we both are roller coaster fiends. So that wasn't <laughs> a great sacrifice on my part. I like roller coasters as much as he does. Um, in the book of maps, they, start, they stop at Cedar Point. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's in in Ohio. And uh, it was then, there was a, a roller coaster that was then the world's tallest. And it's a very telling scene in the book. The father and the son are waiting in line uh, to, to board it. And they want to sit in the front seat because true roller, roller coaster freaks know you got to sit in the front seat. 
as they get closer, they realize there's an exit door uh, and it's sort of um, your way out if you maybe lose all your confidence and this is what you should be doing. The boy, as was true in my life, he's the one who exits. And the father was true in my life. He's the guy who stays on the train and takes the ride. So five years later, my son had seen the light and now he's leading the way. He wants to go ride Superman at Six Flags in Massachusetts, and he wants to go ride the Cyclone at Coney Island, and he wants to go down in New Jersey and ride King Ka, which is a, a, now the world's tallest roller coaster, and, uh, and, and it was amazing. And then more years passed, and again, my son would say, Dad, when are we going to take another uh, road trip? And I said to my wife three years ago, how many 27-year-old boys say to their fathers, we got to take a road trip? And I said, I'm an idiot if I don't take advantage of this. So I stopped time and we drove up through the Maritimes in Canada and we sort of replayed that same magical, mystical experience that we had when he was 10 and I was 20 years younger too. How did it go? It went great. It was really extraordinary, except we talked about different things. Oh, sure. Um, because You're both adults at this point, yeah. Yeah, there's a beautiful scene in the book of Maps where the father and son have gotten as far as Angel Lake in Nevada, and they sit around the campfire, and the boy suddenly opens up, and he wants to talk about stuff, and um, he wants to talk about boners and braces and uh, the 9-11, and, uh, and the dad thinks, this is a moment, and I, I, he, he is so appreciative that I was the one who was appreciative because I knew that that was one of those rare instances that I never kind of had with my father. My father was a depression era guy, very taciturn, not open to affection and expression. So we didn't sit by a campfire and talk about boners and braces and, and horrible things happening in the world. And, and I knew that it wasn't just a pleasure. It was an honor that my son was including me in his thought process. And here we were 17 years later, sort of replicating that, except that we talked about different things. Now he's a grown man. Now he's had girlfriends. Now he's in grad school at NYU, but he still wants his dad. He still wants to have the dad conversation. And again, I'm the luckiest guy. I'm so grateful that I've developed that trust with him that I'm his go-to person. Yeah, it's a great relationship. Has he read the book? No. <laughs> no, he has not. Is and it, I is will going remind to? <laughs> him. <laughs> when he picks it up, I'm going to remind him that there's a little thing called the copyright page. <laughs> on the copyright page, it says any resemblance to persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. Right. <laughs> uh, but you know what? He's a writer. So but he, he understands. And he's got a novel he hasn't shared with me either. And in it, and he told me that part of it takes place on a farm in a town in New Hampshire that sounds suspiciously like our farm on a, in a town in New Hampshire. <laughs> so wait, let's see if I get this straight. You guys are sharing roller coasters, but not books. Correct. Wow. You are correct, sir. How about that? And I don't know why that is, Ira. I think there's probably a little bit of that father-son benign competition. Not that we are competing, but... I would think, and I, I've known many, many children of celebrities, not that I am one, but I have worked in a business that is very public, and I've had a moment or two of notoriety. I hope that's not intimidating to him. 
because I have seen it happen time and again. And there's a great story about Kingsley Amos and Martin Amos. I don't know if you've heard this, but when Martin Amos finally dared show his father a manuscript before he began his very prolific career, the father read it and said, too clever by half. Mm. And uh, I would hate for my son, August, to be nervous about my response to something he's written. I know because I have peaked that he's a wonderful writer uh, and I know that he is proud of me and admires me. The day will come when we'll share, we're, we'll share books. Well, you could do instead of a map trip, you could do a book trip. Yes, we could. That, that could <laughs> was work a good idea. Pretty well, yeah, I like it. How did you decide when you were writing the novel? How did you decide the specific places to go to? Again, this is your creative license, clearly, and I'm sure that they don't replicate, for example, the roller coaster venues you went to. Which, by the way, that, that trip you did with your son with the roller coaster locales, I'm sure that had its ups and downs. But it did have. Yeah, yes, correct. But the. And it was a bad joke, but I had to say it. And yes, I yes, appreciate it. Thank you. And, but how did you decide to? How did you decide on the locales, on the venues, on the places to go to? Was it based on that you knew you could get a story based on the geographical location of a town, city, or village? That's a wonderful question, and, and it's a complicated answer because, in theory, the story could take place in the backyard. It could take place in the meadow of our farm. It's about bonding. It's about a father learning to become a better one. And it's about a son learning to trust his father. There's a moment in the, in the uh, book when they're in Battle Mountain, Nevada, which prides itself as being called the armpit of America. And the, and the kid tells his dad that he reads it on the counter of the motel. And the father said, it could be worse. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, what I did was follow the photo journal that my son and I kept in 2002. Everywhere that we stopped in real life, the characters in the book stopped. And they're the kind of expected ones. We left Los Angeles. Where do you go first? To Yosemite. From Yosemite, you go to Salt Lake. But my son had read in the original book of maps, which was published in 1937, this travel guide, He'd read about Angel Lake, where I just told you we had that campfire moment, and he insisted that we go there, as happens in the book. It's kind of out of the way, and it's not a very big leap from Battle Mountain to Angel Lake, but it was so worth it because of all of the above. From, from Great Salt Lake, where do you go? Do you go to Yellowstone? And from Yellowstone, you go to the Little Bighorn Battle Monument, and from there you go to Mount Rushmore. And from there, you're in a long straightaway across America that doesn't have as many picturesque stops. But even then, you find them. And, and um, uh, our ultimate goal was to get to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland because we're both uh, rock and rollers. But there are other stops along the way. To give you an example, a big part of the book takes place in a town that most people have never heard of called Blue Earth, Minnesota. Blue Earth, Minnesota is the exact center of the United States. Well, that is to say, it's where I-90 West and I-90 East meet. And they took a chunk of concrete and painted it gold to sort of match the golden spike that, was, that joined the Transcontinental Railroad 100 years before that. So we, we pulled off the road in Blue Earth, Minnesota, which happens to be the home of a giant statue of the Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> so 
that is just um, low-hanging fruit for our storytelling. <laughs> uh, and, and that's where we stayed. Not we, but the characters in the book stayed. And that's where the most climactic moment of the book takes place. And it was just a natural. And, and, uh, and I just love the romanticism of a town called Blue Earth. What could be more welcoming as if it's a different planet? And right. it turned out exactly. in many ways that it was. I want to get back to your son for a second, because at some point he's going to read the book. Will he see himself in your book? Well, I think he'd have a hard time not seeing it. And I think that day may be today because the book <laughs> is out. So <laughs> I, we were supposed to have a, a launch party today in New York. And unfortunately, our publisher, who was at the Frankfurt Book Fair, got COVID. So everything got thrown off balance. But um, And I had hoped to be able to present my son with a hug, the book. But um, I would be surprised if he can resist the temptation of looking. But um, <laughs> when I read the book, and I should know, I don't see Ernest Thompson and August Thompson anymore. I see Brendan Tibbet and Brendan Tibbet. And so I think that's a compliment to the writing that it's separate. People who know us may think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You live on a farm in New Hampshire. These guys live on a farm in New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, but it's you down the road. It's down it. the road. It's yeah. Different. It's a yeah. different farm. Uh, yeah. The character of the father uh, happens to work in the entertainment business. He happens to be a filmmaker, just to show you how little imagination I have. But he's a different guy. And um, I think my son, August, will get a kick out of that. I think I've made both Brendan and Brendan simultaneously cooler and less evolved uh, than <laughs> in real life. <laughs> so it's somewhat based on you and your son's lives, but obviously fictionalized, so that way your son can't sue you for cultural uh, That would be the hope, yeah. But for many years, um, when On Golden Pond first came out, my mother was convinced that I'd written the character that Catherine Hepburn played based on her. And uh, <laughs> there was a fabulous moment many years ago. The movie hadn't been made yet, but the play was already on Broadway. And my mother came out to visit. Now, the character in On Golden Pond is Ethel. My mother's name was Esther. So I took her to a kind of schmancy, showbizy kind of party, and there were celebrities there. And I went around and I introduced my mother to various well-known people. And I said, oh, so-and-so, I would like you to meet my mother. This is Esther Thompson. And my mother would say, I'm Ethel. And, uh, and, but people in Hollywood didn't necessarily know what Ethel meant. Right. They just thought my mother was slightly losing it. Uh, but you know what? I let her believe that because um, she liked the character. <laughs> that may not be true of everybody. And as I said, there's that little thing about any resemblance to that may come in handy for certain other people who may feel that I borrowed from their lives. But that's a writer's prerogative as far as I'm concerned. How do you balance your life on the farm with work in Hollywood in that you wrote, we talked about winning the Academy Award. So you're in that world and now you're in a farm in New Hampshire. How do you balance the two mindsets, I guess, is what I'm trying to ask. Well, another good question. And mind is the operative word because it saves it. <laughs> it is for men mental health that I live far from the madding crowd of Hollywood. Uh, nothing against it. But even when I lived there, when I lived in Malibu, when I lived in West Hollywood, 
I felt as if I was a stranger and I felt as if I, I didn't, not that I didn't belong, but I didn't fit. And, and um, so I was sort of 3000 miles away, even when I was there. Catherine Hepburn was a great reinforcer of that because she had a home in old Saybrook, Connecticut. And uh, as soon as she wasn't busy in New York, she was out and she was driving up the coast and, and sequestering herself there and being very happy having a full life. That's my life here in New Hampshire. I live in a house that's 200 years old. I have 40 acres. I have a lot of property to maintain. I don't have any animals, uh, lucky for them. But I, <laughs> I, I love my life. I love that I am out there raking and hauling wood and taking care of my pond and all of that stuff because it frees me up. I'm a big believer in the creative process. And a lot of times the creative process works in the unconscious. So I, if you were here, I could take you on the blue trail, for instance, or the peak trail, and I could show you my trail, but I could also tell you that's where I wrote a certain song, or that's where I wrote a chapter of the book, um, Mow in the Lower Meadow. I may have gone around 20 times and thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's a line, there's a line. Oh, I know what the line is. And that line is going to go in this scene, in this movie. So it, it really is good to have that perspective, I think. Now, in 2022, it's way easier to do that. It wasn't as easy when it was about fax machines and going to the post office and mailing a script. Now, as you know, everything uh, we're talking on this device, everything is so simple and so instant that anybody can be doing it. And I talked to a, a producer just the other day, an old friend of mine who had heard about the Book of Maps and was excited to read it. But he produced two of my television films. One was called The Lies Boys Tell with Kirk Douglas. And the other one was my movie version of my play, The West Side Waltz, with Shirley MacLaine, Liza Minnelli, Kathy Bates, Jennifer Grey. And um, he's doing the same thing. He's in his early 80s. He lives in Florida. He's still making movies and he never leaves his room. He does everything remotely. So it's a great time to have that sort of iconoclastic individualism. And in a way, I think it's better. I think I've become sort of mythological in Los Angeles. Wait a minute. This guy won an Oscar. And then where did he go exactly? <laughs> and I like that. I like I like fooling people and keeping people guessing. And here I am. This is called my debut novel. I'm having my debut in my 70s, which I think is a riot. But um, hey, it's, I, a, great, it makes, it's a great thing. You, as you mentioned, your friend is in his 80s. And he's producing. There are people yeah. in their nineties. I mean, Carl Reiner was in his nineties and still doing stuff. So uh, uh, it can be done. Uh, George Bernard Shaw was still writing plays at ninety six, and he was a fellow vegan. So anything is possible. And the other George, George Burns, lived to be a hundred, and he was in correct till yes. til that point. One last question, though, about that Hollywood, New Hampshire nexus. In that sense, people always talk about you have to kind of be there to be remembered. And you said you were becoming mythological. But how do they know to contact you if you're not there in that, in that milieu? They don't always. <laughs> and that's okay. But on Golden Pond has turned out to be a significant thing. So I can get phone calls answered because of on Golden Pond. The Oscar is really good at knocking doors down. A lot of times I don't mind if people can't find me. And I learned early on that I probably wasn't a good candidate to 
work on certain kinds of films. No one would think, hey, Ernest Thompson, we've got to get him to write a superhero movie or uh, a slasher movie or a horror movie. That's, that's just not who I am. That said, character, relationship-oriented, people come to me. And I think that the word will get out about the book of maps. People will realize how funny it is, how accessible it is, what a great story it is. I was thinking earlier, is there a movie in it? Of course, there's a movie in it, but even better now in, in the world we live in, there's a streamer. I think there's a six or eight episode because it covers 16 states over the course of 15 days. One could really settle in and I could imagine adapting it and, and directing it uh, and getting wonderful actors to play those two young characters and just having a blast with it. And then We'll see. We'll see if anybody remembers me in Hollywood. But but uh, I, I stay busy. I stay in touch. I have several um, projects in development, as everybody does. We're working on a sequel to On Golden Pond, which has only taken me about 40 years to think about. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, there, happen. there may be a sequel to the Book of Maps. You never know. Oh, I think there will be. It's probably yeah. called The Roller Coaster Trip. Yeah, we'll, there you we'll go. And yeah. also, you're in your own Golden Pond in essence, in New Hampshire. You're, yeah. so you got the subconscious and unconscious working and creating and turning out books, which is great. Well, I think that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Ernest Thompson. He's author of The Book of Maps, a novel published by Global Collective Publishing and available on Amazon and all the usual places. For everything about Ernest Thompson, go to ernestthompson.us and thebookofmaps.com. Ernest, thanks for being on the show. It's been my pleasure. It's a great time talking to you, Ira. Same Take here. Care. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.